So we begin, I just want to say a very warm welcome to all of you. A lot of familiar faces in the room and it's lovely to see you and welcome back. And for those of you who are new to IMS, I hope you feel very welcomed and that you will feel truly at home here. For those of you who don't know us, a few introductions. Uh, I'm Christina, this is Gina, and this is Yanai. And here in the corner is Luis, who will be um, offering some mindful yoga sessions during the retreat. So what we want to do this evening is to give you a little bit of an overview of the retreat. It's really the question of why are we here and what are we doing now that we are here. It's as good information to have. (laughs) And then we will talk a a little bit about some of the guidelines that really... Uh, create this container that we, we in truth really do create and shape together. And then, of course, a little bit of an introduction to the formal practice. I read a recent poem by uh, Mary Oliver, and in it she writes that she's going on retreat to a cave in the high mountains where the old masters say that great epiphanies and insights can happen. And then at the end of the poem, she says, of course, I'm not actually going anywhere. That's the koan, by the way. (laughs) But I was thinking about how that applies to all of us being here. Because when we arrive on a retreat, of course, for most people, this is a huge shift in how you usually live your life. And it's a geographical change, of course. But some things stay really much the same, don't they? Because here we are, sitting and walking with the same mind, same body, same heart that operates every other place in our life that is a companion to us in our lives, no matter where we stand or where we sit or where we walk. And this is, of course, this mind, body, heart. This is what we are invited to befriend, what we are invited to understand. This is how we shape our life. Now, it's really important to acknowledge, of course, that everyone who's here has a pretty full life before they arrive on retreats. And it's probably much the same life that you will return to at the end of this retreat. And I'm all too aware in teaching in Western culture how many People live in lives that are very full, with many, a lot of busyness, a lot of pressures, sometimes a lot of expectations, sometimes a lot of demands. And it's really important to acknowledge that here we can stop for a while. We can even learn how to rest for a while. And we can learn how to switch out of this almost incessant doing mode into a greater sense of stillness. And in a real way, that's the great, one of the greatest gifts and the greatest blessings of a retreat. Because this space is really not about having some idealized meditation experience. It's not so much about the techniques or the events. It's not about the food either, by the way. (laughs) 
But it is a time to listen inwardly, to listen to the life of our body, to listen to the life of our minds and hearts, and to really explore what can we learn. What can we learn? What can we understand? The first step in that listening, I think, is is to let go of some of the habits that aren't so helpful. And one of the big ones, of course, is the habit of busyness, the habit of doing, the habit, the habitual world of impulse. You know, some each year I often kind of think of taking a. Uh, an annual sort of renunciation as an experiment. And a few years ago, I decided my annual renunciation was going to be the renunciation of busyness. Didn't mean I never moved quickly, by the way, but I really discovered how much busyness is a state of mind and how extraordinarily unhelpful it is. And that year was so delightful that I really determined I was never going to take up that habit again. So there's a way of actually that we need, we become so habituated, I think, into certain ways of being in the world that they look normal after a while. You know, rushing around, endlessly sort of being on timetables, on agendas. So for some people, it's quite a challenge to stop. It can be quite a challenge to befriend stillness and to to move into a more receptive and responsive mode, a mode of mindfulness, a mode of sensitivity, of kindness, and a mode of actually caring for our own well-being. There's something, a quote I wanted to share with you from one of the discourses of the Buddha. He said, looking after yourself, one looks after others. Looking after others, one looks after oneself. How does one look after others? By looking after oneself. By practicing mindfulness, developing it, and helping it to grow. How does one look after oneself? By looking after others. By patience non-harming, friendliness, and caring. I just want to point out how very, very central this quality of caring is to the practice that we do here. Sometimes you look, or people look at a retreat from the outside. We may even do it ourselves and think, well, this is a rather kind of dislocated, kind of remote way of being. But actually, it is, in truth, a way of caring. Now, to arrive on this retreat, truly arrive, is actually, for most people, much more than just a physical landing. It is an emotional and a psychological reorientation and readjustment. Because you will find, for sure, that your life follows you onto the cushion. In thoughts, in memories, and sometimes in worries, in anxieties. And in a way, we would ask, why would it not? And one of the great teachers of the past, Nagarjuna, he once said, what do we do with a life that doesn't go away? And I think that the answer from this practice is a really simple one, is that we stop wanting things to go away. We stop that pattern of resistance and denial and rejection. Because this practice is not concerned with dissociation. It's certainly not concerned with cultivating a more disconnected life. A life disconnected from body, mind, heart, the world that we live in that truly needs that sense of caring. And it's not a question of whether or not we, we, we engage with this world we are part of. This 
path and this teaching is really concerned with how we engage. And the Buddha's, the Buddha's guidance often, the Buddha's, Buddha's invitation often in beginning to practice would be to an encouragement to disentangle from the world and establish ourselves in mindfulness and in solitude. The word disentangle is very important here. It's not about aversion, avoidance, rejection, or judgment. It is about learning how to soften the sense of being so entangled, so identified, so immersed um, in that world that we are part of. So I think it's a really helpful way of beginning a retreat is to reflect on a couple of questions. And bear in mind, there are not right answers to these questions. They are reflections. And certainly one question I would encourage you to to kind of reflect on a little bit this evening is, what would it be most helpful for you to nurture and to cultivate that would allow you to be here most wholeheartedly, most fully? These answers might be quite personal. They're probably likely also to be somewhat universal. Would it be more helpful, most helpful for us to cultivate this sense of kindness, of simplicity, of patience, of befriending, of perseverance, and of course, most of all, our capacity to be present in a fully fully mindful way in its deepest sense. The second question I think that's really helpful is, what would it be most useful for us to quite intentionally learn to, to put down that would allow us to be here most fully? And these questions are often, by the way, really interwoven. Again, it might be helpful for us to put down some of the habits that don't serve us well. To begin to learn, it means to lay down agendas or patterns of judgment or patterns of fixing or impatience. And again, these questions, these qualities can be quite personal and they can be quite universal. To remind ourselves what we do here, It's about meeting our life. It's about meeting ourselves, about meeting this mind and heart that clearly has so much potential for chaos and struggle and confusion. But you know, it's exactly the same mind and heart that holds so much potential for calmness, for balance, for stillness and kindness. There's a wonderful line from the Dhammapada, one of the very early probably most translated texts of the Buddha. It says, if you want to know about your past, look at your mind now. And that if you want to know about your future, look at your mind now. And this is a, this quality of now is is so significant. I mean, being present in this moment fully and wholeheartedly is something much more than a cliche, because this is where we find the potential turning points in our life, the capacity to walk new pathways, to explore new understandings, to cultivate really what serves us well. Now, over this course of this retreat, um, a lot of our teaching and a lot of our practice and the instructions we offer will really be rooted in two of the primary teaching discourses of the Buddha. And these are two discourses that are probably most informed the whole development of insight meditation in the West. And the first of these is the Satipatthana discourse, or sutta, which describes the ways of establishing mindfulness. It's a roadmap for establishing wakefulness in our life. 
And the second of the discourses that will really inform what we do here is a discourse that is called the Metta Sutta, or the teaching of boundless friendliness, a teaching of boundless kindness. And these two discourses are deeply interwoven. Um, and they will form very much the ground of, of what we're able to offer and what you will be invited to explore. So I really wish you all a very rich retreat and welcome you and look forward to meeting with you over these days. So I would also like to extend a a warm welcome to you all and it's always a little funny coming to someone else's country and welcoming them because in a very much a sense I'm a guest here and yet I do very much also have the sense of this retreat, this environment, this context that we're engaging in here being very much my home and something I feel very fortunate to be able to to share together with you as a group of people, to uh, participate together in. And in that sense, uh, I have a real wish and hope for this time that it can be also a place in which you find your sense of, of home and whatever that might be most meaningful for you to be. I'd like to speak about some of the framework of the retreat some of the foundations for what will support us to be here together in a way that can most profoundly allow what is possible here. And what is possible in this this retreat and in this time we have together is actually something quite remarkable and in fact beautiful. That in a period of in some ways a long time and in other ways not very long at all, we can discover all manner of possibilities and potentialities and we can come to know more fully and deeply for ourselves the the possibility of transformation of our heart and mind that the Buddha spoke of, of a releasing of our heart and mind from the constraints of conditioning, of habit and of a of a kind of tragic blindness that we can easily live our lives from and within. And so insight meditation being a a vehicle for us to see and understand what is true, what is real, what is authentic, and in living in accordance with that, coming into harmony with life. I was struck arriving a couple of days ago and there was a a car parked, I think it's still parked, in fact, in the uh, staff section of the, of the car park here, and it had a bumper sticker. I'm always interested to read the bumper stickers when I come here. Obviously, people spend a lot of sort of creative time and energy on them, and it's uh, lovely sometimes to see what's there. And this one said that the, uh, the day of non-judgment is near. And I thought that was a rather lovely welcome to, to IMS, to the retreat. And uh, particularly apt for me just remembering it as I was reflecting on what I'd like to speak about this evening. Because the first thing I'd like to speak about is the, the, the foundation of practice in, in, a, in, an, in a caring for each other expressed as an intention and a commitment to not cause harm. And for many of us, when we have encountered sort of we could say guidelines, instructions, or perhaps inju- sort of um, injunctions with regard to behavior. It often comes with that sense of, of judgment or sort of a kind of a rather heavy sort of moral weight. And in, in the Dharma, in the teachings of the Buddha, the, what we call the precepts, the ethical guidelines, are, are really something that come from a, a different place than 
any form of judgment, but really out of a wish to care for and support ourselves and each other, understanding that that caring for ourselves and each other is profoundly and inextricably intertwined. And this is something that we find pointed to in many, in fact, perhaps all authentic and transformative spiritual or religious traditions. Here in the context of the retreat, we ask you all, and I think you're probably familiar with the precepts, most of you, but I'd like to name them again and just reflect on them because we ask everyone here, not just retreatants, but staff, teachers, and whoever is here as a community to undertake these principles and precepts as a guidance for action. Understanding that we all wish to be free from suffering and harm. It's quite natural then and obvious it might seem that we should refrain from harming others. That we should treat each other as we would wish to be treated ourselves. And to understand that this is really an underpinning for the practice we will be engaged in, for the meditation forms we will explore, the sense of care about well-being for others, for ourselves, and committing ourselves in our hearts so far as we're able to refrain from causing harm. This is something essential. And so the, the five ethical guidelines or, or training precepts the first is to refrain from taking life or causing harm to any living being. And of course, I'm sure you didn't and wouldn't have come here with any intentions to cause harm to others or take life from any, any being. But it's important also to notice how uh, sometimes we might feel the urge to. And I'm not necessarily thinking about one's roommate on this occasion, but uh, more likely the small creatures that we encounter. I noticed one buzzing around my ear as I was sitting here before speaking. And it's, I don't know if you have this experience with that sense of, I'd really like it not to bite me. And there's actually only one way I can actually stop, it hap stop that happening, it seems, is maybe to stop it doing anything else ever. And what is it to just include in one sense of care the life of another being? Just for a moment, say, okay. I can let this one live, and it won't cost me too much. In so many ways in our lives, we have opportunities to express that, that sense of care for others, and here to refrain from causing harm to any living beings, so far as you're able. To refrain also, the second precept, from taking things which aren't freely offered to us, which don't belong to us, understanding that there's great suffering we can experience when our possessions, our things are, are taken or, or not handled appropriately. And that there's a way in which we can all relax, again, if, if our material possessions are, if we recognize and understand they're safe from each other. And that we're actually also safe from the urge to maybe take things that aren't offered to us. And uh, it's interesting to notice again how that might play out. And I always remember the time on a long retreat here when I thought I'd try out my neighbor's cushion, which seemed so much more comfortable than mine, looking at how still they were sitting. And it was in the middle of the night. And I thought, surely they won't be needing it now. And uh, in the middle of that night, as I was trying out this cushion, someone else walked into the room and walked up to the place where I was sitting and sat down immediately behind. And I thought, hmm. Maybe I shouldn't have sat on the seat because maybe it belongs to someone else. And it's interesting how sometimes even cushions disappear. Someone comes and says, somebody's taken my cushion. I'm sure they didn't mean to take the cushion from the person. But we just sometimes do these things without thinking. And it's interesting to reflect on that for ourselves. The third precept is to refrain from intentional sexual activity in the context of the retreat, that's an expression of refraining from causing harm through sexuality. So there's no judgment or rejection or kind of moral 
sort of position being taken about human sexuality here, but more just allowing ourselves to, in the context of the retreat, really be with ourselves and by ourselves and not engaging in that way with each other. And again, there's a real relief that comes from just putting down all the complexity and the, at times, sort of painfulness and confusion that can arise around what are we communicating or what's being communicated to us. When we just make a shared agreement that actually, for now, we put that territory down. And it doesn't mean we can't include it in our lives. Of course we do, if, or we can if we wish. And it doesn't mean it won't arise for us in our hearts or our minds, but the intention is clear that we don't do anything with that. We don't take it anywhere. We don't act on it. And so we're really all here together as human beings. Now, the fourth precept is to refrain from harmful expressions of speech, which in being here is to, to wholeheartedly commit to the silence, which Gina will speak about further in a little while. And also to be aware of our, our, our speech when we do speak, to speak what is true and what is useful, is the Buddha's guideline. What is true and what is useful. And again, I often notice the tendency to just sort of adjust what I might say when I'm asking for something, if we need some help from one of the staff, to make it look like I really need it, when maybe I don't. Or sometimes I might adjust something to make it look like I'm really okay when I'm not. And I really do need some help. And to see if we do need to communicate, can we be, can we be authentic? Can we speak what's true? And what's helpful? And this is, again, as a, a practice precept. So we explore what this might mean. And in, the, in the retreat, not so much opportunity for working with this one directly, but uh, still important. And the fifth precept is to refrain from the use of alcohol, drugs, or intoxicants that cloud the mind. And having some real respect for consciousness, it's, this, it's a remarkable, miraculous thing to be awake, to be conscious, to have this ability to know our experience. And so easily in life we can seek to kind of dull it or sort of manipulate it in some way by the use of various substances. And in the context of the retreat, it's really helpful, really important, in fact, to not do that. And for many of us, this might be, of course, something natural, something obvious and easy to undertake. For some, occasionally it can be for someone, this is actually a really important part of their life, to let go of a relationship of using substances that's actually harmful, and that we all undertake this together here is incredibly supportive. In that context, of course, if you're using medicine or medication for the well-being of your body or mind, please do continue to do so. That's quite appropriate and um, right that that um, doesn't come under this particular this category of, of undertaking of precept. And in that, if we were to imagine what the world would be like if human beings lived by this, by these guidelines, what would the world be like? Amazing what it would be like. I mean, the newspaper industry would be in trouble because there wouldn't be much to write on the front page. But it would be a different world. And we can actually make that world together here to a certain degree in our community of this retreat and equally in our own hearts. And this is a transformation that is a foundation. This orientation, this commitment is a foundation for everything we do here. And so I, and we all, in fact, ask everyone here to commit and undertake to, to hold these precepts as fully as we are able. And together with the precepts, I'd also like to speak about the, the spirit of simplicity and really the also the essential, or the also essential element of what we're doing here of renouncing or letting go of what is not essential. In order to understand what is most essential and most true, we have to be willing to let go of what is less essential, less important to us. And so one of the things we really want to do here is create as much space as is possible in our hearts and our minds and in our very way of being together. Because space, although sometimes it's not easy to inhabit empty space, 
it offers us the possibility of discovery and of deepening in a way that very few things can. So we ask for the time that you're here to, to just stay with the simplicity of the schedule. It's not particularly complicated. It's not that you have to follow it somehow religiously, but there's a way in which not adding extraneous or unnecessary activities to what's here. One of the ways we can often do that in life is with the, the, the often important and useful but equally kind of overwhelming potential we have for reading and writing and engagement with words and language and information and communication. And it used to be on retreats we just asked people not to do reading and writing. And it was quite straightforward because you took, there weren't any books, so, you know. And if people are happy with that, that's okay. But in fact, these days, most of us are used to being plugged into electronic equipment in which we're reading or writing using our thumbs or, you know, ten fingers if we're sophisticated in that department to either seek communication or to exchange or to gather information and we become dependent upon it and it's like so remarkable that this is possible it's incredible technology it has wonderful benefits for us and it can fill up every single second of our life and every cell of our body and every drop of juice in our minds if we're not careful and so I ask you, and I have to say, I beg and implore you, give it up. Give it up. Just for now. You'll find that it's amazing. The world will get on without you. It will cope without text messages from you, or Facebook updates from you, or whatever it is that you do that I'm sure is wonderful, and I don't have anything against the doing of it. But for the retreat, for the retreat, again, this is a gift you can give yourself. No one else can give this to you. We can't keep an eye on what you do in your room. We won't know, but you'll know. And if you can give all of that up, what you find, what I've found again and again, and it's not always easy for me, but what I find again and again is that that space, initially perhaps challenging, that lack of something to do, or something to feed on in terms of information or communication. Just a couple of breaths, just a couple of moments, and suddenly it's something we can start to bathe in. It's something we can relax, and, and it's something we can expand into. That part of what the space of, of both safety and kindness and care in terms of the precepts, but equally in terms of simplicity and of non-busyness, non-doing, of letting go of what is not essential. It allows us to expand. And in that expansion, again, so much is possible. So much can be discovered. And the practices and the forms of meditation that we'll be, off, that we'll be offering and exploring together, their true potency is revealed, is supported. So these things that might sound like a bunch of rules and things you're supposed to do or not do. So I talked about the, I mentioned the, uh, you know, the day of non-judgment. It's not about getting it right or somehow being perfect at this. Nobody is. But about being wholehearted. Being wholehearted in this orientation of our hearts, actually, and minds to not cause harm to others or ourselves, and to give ourselves and each other as much space here, to allow it to be as simple and open as it can be. So, I too wish you very well in your time here, and look forward to meeting with you along the way.
So I'd like to add my welcome also. And I feel perfectly okay doing that since I live here. Not at IMS, but I live in America. And particularly those of you who've come far, including my two colleagues, welcome. And welcome because I know there are a few people here who are from other countries, so I extend a particularly warm welcome to you too. So I'd like to continue in the uh, stream that Christina and Yanai have been speaking to touch a little bit on the aspect of the retreat of uh, silence. I know there are a few of you who have not meditated before and some of you who've not been to IMS before, and so perhaps those of you who've not been here have not been to any retreats at all. And I know that sometimes when it's the first time on retreat, that probably what seems to be the most daunting aspect is the aspect of silence. I was listening to a um, an interview on National Public Radio last week. And uh, the person who was being interviewed was a curator of silence. And he made a beautiful comment, which was that silence is an endangered species in our world today. And I'd never quite heard it expressed that way, but it struck me because he was, uh, he was talking mostly about silence in nature and our uh, lack of respect for that silence. And I think that here at IMS and at places that offer retreats like this, that the aspect of silence that is offered is indeed very precious. We live in a world that is increasingly noisy. And as uh, my colleagues were saying, busy. And we tend to, and you know, I was talking about all of the different ways that we have of communicating with uh, uh, electronics now, which may seem to be silent, but actually creates a lot of noise in the mind. So when we're here at IMS together, working on the things that we work on and really waking up collectively, being together, one of the most precious resources that we establish together is the resource of silence. Which indeed enhances our ability to see clearly, to know reality, to understand deeply this body, mind, and heart. And we make this agreement together that we will all curate the silence together. And I know that before we come to a retreat, that might be the thing that we feel is going to be the most difficult. But you know, what I've discovered in my own retreat practice is that most of the time, that's the richest part of the retreat is just the ability to be in this amazing silence together where we can be collective and yet respect the solitude of each of us, including our own. So some of you may have come with partners 
or friends or people that you have uh, some relationship with. And it might be particularly tempting when there's some difficulty or maybe just even that sense of loneliness or solitude that feels um, perhaps a little unbearable. There might be a temptation to communicate with that person. And when we do that, we're not only cheating or robbing ourselves of this precious opportunity that is so rare, but we're also um, interfering with the silence of our friend or our partner. I've had lots of occasions in which I've uh, sat retreats with my husband. We've both been yogis together. And what I've always noticed is that somehow there's a there's more intimacy that happens in the silence of a retreat that after we come together that after we come to after we've had a retreat and we come together that the um, the intimacy between us is even deeper when we've shared this precious silence so to really give it a chance if you're new at it. To see how it can contribute deeply to the work of awakening that we do together. Because in order to really see clearly, it's important that we have some stillness and the silence certainly uh, contributes to that. You will notice that there's a um, space for notes on the board, on the bulletin board. And so that form of communication may be quite important in certain instances where there's something that you need to do, you need to ask of the staff uh, or to tell the facilities people that there's something in your room that needs caring for or attention. And so that's that's a perfectly um, honorable way of working with the silence here when communication is... uh, is necessary. There's also a space for writing notes to us, the teachers. And there are guidelines on the board that you can uh, look at to help you decide whether or not that note that you're about to write is really necessary, a necessary communication and is something that can't wait. And we do that not so much because, and we ask you to do that not so much because we don't want to get notes from you, but because we feel really protective and supportive of your silence. And it's part of the practice to notice when the thoughts arise that feel so compelling and that seemed to be so, this is something I must share with somebody right now. And part of the practice is really to see it arise, to notice it, and to let it go. Now that doesn't mean that if there really is something that you need assistance with from us, that you should refrain from asking for that assistance. We're delighted to be of help to you in your practice and to be um, supportive in whatever way um, is needed. So it's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting place for you when you decide to, um, 
to write a note. As part of the practice, you can begin to really look at the mind and see what it's asking of you and notice the the state of mind and uh, to work with that. So I just wanted to share a poem with you from John Moffat. He said, to look at anything, if you would know that thing, you must look at it long. To look at this green and say, I have seen spring in these woods will not do. You must be the, be the thing you see. You must be the dark snakes of stems and ferny plumes of leaves. You must enter into the small silences between the leaves. You must take your time and touch the very peace they issue from. So I wish you the depth that happens in the silence and your ability to give it the time to develop and to let go of all of the ways in which we use uh, our different sounds and ways of um, communication for distraction. And one other thing, some of you may have um, been in retreats where um, you're asked to avoid eye contact at all costs. We, as a uh, teaching team, have just a slightly different take. And that is that if you happen to meet someone's eyes or somehow there's some contact, that you don't have to recoil and think that it's a crime, that it's perfectly okay, but there's no need to go out seeking that kind of contact. So you can be pleasant and um, perhaps you're the person whose eyes you've met or that you've contacted in that way, in that silence may be in their own deep process at that point and don't feel like smiling or whatever, to just not worry about that or think that there's, or take it personally. But sometimes people are in processes that are, um, they really need to be um, by themselves and not in contact. But if you both contact, and I'm talking about silently, um, it's, it's okay. It's, it's fine not to worry. So um, I too wish you a very fruitful practice. And to just also remind you that there's no requirement for grimness. Even though we're silent, it can be a very joyful practice. Whatever is happening and arising, it can still be incredibly joyful. So I wish you joy. I wish you depth. And I wish you a beautiful, spacious, and still silence. So let's uh, practice together.
So allow the body, mind, and heart to arrive here. You've been filled with lots of information and many words, thoughts, ideas, do's and don'ts. See if you can let them go now. And allow the mind to relax, the body to relax, and the heart. It might be helpful to simply notice the contact of your buttocks with your seat. feeling the hardness or softness, warmth or coolness, pressure, whatever is felt. Just this body sitting here breathing. Nothing to manufacture, nothing to fabricate, just the simplicity of being here. Even if the mind is busy, it's possible to simply take one breath at a time and allow the attention to rest in it. Just to know this in-breath, however it is, deep or shallow, long or short, rough or smooth. This breath breathing itself right now.
I think Sage already told you the uh, wake-up bell tomorrow is at 6. Uh, the rest of the days it will be at 5.30. There won't be a sitting first thing in the morning tomorrow. But of course you're very welcome at any time, uh, day or night, to come into the hall and sit if you are so disposed. But there won't be an official uh, sitting period tomorrow morning. Um, and the rest of the schedule will be, is, is posted on the bulletin board, so you'll be able to know. So have a really beautiful night of sleep and rest. I know you've all probably spent a lot of energy getting here, so please rest well. Thank you. Good night. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.